Hey dudes, this is The Big Game. I'm Justin Hargett. Today on the show, we return to the NBA playoffs. I was hoping that Cleveland and Chicago might have gotten seven games, or if not, that Atlanta and Washington would have gotten seven games. But it turned out that the only series that went all seven is a team that we've already talked about here on The Big Game, and that is the Los Angeles Clippers going up against James Harden and the Houston Rockets. This will definitely be the last time we talk about the Clippers, though, as Harden, Dwight Howard, and my man Pablo Prigioni stormed back for a historic series victory that saw them down three games to one, trailing by double digits in game six against the Clippers. Clippers have one foot in the Western Conference Finals, and the Rockets come back to win game six and utterly destroying the Clippers at home in Game 7. It was a massacre. Joining me on the show today is Blake Mallon, the co-founder of WarnAndWound.com and a serious basketball mind. We recap Game 7 and look ahead to the conference finals. Will LeBron James get past the Atlanta Hawks? Will Steph Curry and Klay Thompson destroy the Houston Rockets? Or is there still a little magic left in that rocket fuel tank? Hey, Blake, welcome back to The Big Game. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, we just watched the Houston Rockets uh, come back from a 3-1 series deficit to defeat Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and whoever else was on the court pretending to be an L.A. Clipper last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did you think of this like remarkable series? You know, Houston coming back, I mean, in Game 6, they came back, scored uh, 40 points to 15 in the fourth quarter to to shock the Clippers, who were you know, had one foot in the conference finals, uh, and then just totally dominate them at home in game seven. What did, what did you think of this one? Um, well, I thought, you know, they seemed in this, particularly in game seven, I mean, they just seemed, the Clippers seemed fairly defeated. Yeah. Like I, they didn't seem in it. I mean, it was a, I think it was an end to end win for the Rockets. Like they never trailed, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and the Clippers just were kind of not, doing what they were doing in the rest of the series and in the San Antonio series. I think a lot of that could have been maybe they just were run ragged because I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but, you know, their bench is so thin, their starters have to play so many minutes, maybe they just were losing energy. But I think it's, if you know, it harkens back to um, the finals two years ago when the Spurs lost game six to the Heat. And, like, there was just no coming back from that. I mean, you can't, it's so hard to come back from that sort of a crushing defeat. And, I mean, you know, that was, his, I think it was a historic come back what that Rockets were able to pull off in game six. Um, so yeah, I mean, it could just, it could be practical issues of like exhaustion, but also they just, they didn't look like they were the Clippers. They didn't look like the Clippers that beat the Spurs. Yeah. It definitely seemed like it, it, they were demoralized. The Clippers were demoralized at coming out of game six. But then on the other hand, Houston just looked like a deeper team. Like they had uh, so many players who could come. I think they had three players that played 20 minutes off the bench whereas the Clippers only had one player that played about 20 minutes. And, and even then, the, Clip, the Clippers bench was not very effective. It was, uh, let's see, it was uh, Jamal Crawford, who's, who's a great sixth man, but when he's the only guy, well, and then Austin Rivers played 15 minutes, but that's, you know, Austin Rivers is, is nothing really spectacular. So if Jamal yeah. Crawford is the only guy helping your team out, like, how do you expect to compete with a team as deep as the Rockets? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that, 
a team as deep as the Rockets, and I think a team that is sort of as uniformly assembled as the Rockets. I think, you know, they're, I, you know, I think, I think they're they're a team that's very much predicated on all their players being really lean and long, and like really good defenders in that sense. Um, like if you look at any given time on the floor, it looks like everybody on that team is like six seven, six eight, and like <laughs> lanky and long and filling the lanes and kind of giving people headaches. And I actually did a little bit of research before I got on this call. <laughs> So I was looking at the at the rosters of the teams. Uh, the Houston Rockets have nine players who are six eight or taller, and the Clippers only have six. Interesting. Interesting Interestingly, stat. for comparison, Golden State has seven. So ah. maybe that'll come into play. But I feel like, point being, you know, players who are coming off the bench for the Rockets, I feel like are fitting a mold mm-hmm. and a game plan that makes a lot of sense. But like, when you take Austin Rivers and replace Chris Paul with him. He's not like a floor general. He's not an up-and-coming, outstanding point guard. He's like, you know, at his best, you know, he gets to the rim. You know what I mean? So it's it's a totally different dynamic. And, you know, Big Baby Davis is not some other version of Blake Griffin. or You know, he doesn't fit the system. He's not the Glenn Davis of the Celtics years. You know, a guy that could come off the bench and have an impact. I mean, he he didn't do anything in this game. He didn't do anything in this series. Um, No, and I think Glenn Davis is the kind of guy. I mean, he's always been bigger. And I think that um, guys, you see that guys like that in the league, and it's like if he were a little bit more athletic, or if he were a little bit taller, like you, you maybe he'd be a superstar. His skill set and his IQ is so high. But you know, if you and I don't mean to like be mean about. It. I know people to make jokes about him being kind of heavy, but like he has never really recovered from his injury he had in Orlando. Like I think he broke his foot or something like that, and he ballooned after that, and he never got thin again the way he did when he was in Orlando. Like I think there's something to that. He's not quite the same Glenn Davis. You know, yeah. for whatever that means. Yeah. Well, and then, so then the Clippers have, you know, they're basically relying on Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan to kind of come up with the majority of their points. And I think, you know, that that clearly worked in, a num- in you know, the three games they won this series and even for three quarters of the game uh, that they lost in game six. Um, and so every time Chris Paul is, like, taking control of the game, I thought they had a chance. But then mm-hmm. it would seem like, that would happen in little spurts and then the offense would get lost and there would be turnovers and then the Rockets would storm back and score seven or eight straight or something like that. Whereas mm-hmm. when it was going through Chris Paul very deliberately, it was working, but I guess they just couldn't keep that up for the entire game. Is that, you think what happened or was it just the depth that we're talking about here? I mean, it seems like it. I think, you know, that lack of depth is going to result in people being pretty, drained and I mean you know everybody can't be perfect all the time or can't be on all the time and I think that the Clippers are a team where like and I guess you could say this about any playoff team at this point but when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're playing the way that they can at a very high level like they're a really really good team but I think it's very hard for them to maintain that when there's no bench and you rely so much on certain people yes Um, certain people like JJ Redick who played 41 minutes had six turnovers and started the game shooting one for five from three, which is like at yeah. the point where Houston was already like, I, I feel like we're just going to talk a lot of shit on the Clippers, but really yeah. like Houston made it look easy this game. Like, yeah. like everyone did everything so well. Like James Harden had like a perfectly rounded game 31. Right. Like he didn't shoot real, real well from the field, but he got to the line uh, for 18 free throws and he made 15 of them had yeah. eight assists and seven rebounds. Like it, they just were working together as a unit so well Meanwhile, the Clippers are, you know, and then J.J. Redick is just tossing the ball all over the court. For sure. And again, I don't mean to harp on the bench thing or the depth thing, but, you know, J.J. Redick, you look at a player like that, like, 
in addition to shooting threes and getting into open spots, like he's supposed to run the other team ragged. Like he's supposed to be constantly running off screens and just basically just like never stop moving. And when you do that for two seven game series, I mean, even a guy, you know, at that stage in his career with his athleticism, like you're going to get tired and you can't do it forever, you know? Yeah. Especially with a team maybe like the Rockets that maybe gives him fits on the defensive end, you know? Well, so let's talk a little bit about what Houston did right. And I think I kind of, maybe it's not so much what they did right in this game is what they did right kind of at the trade deadline, which was acquiring Josh Smith from Detroit, acquiring Pablo Prigioni from my guys, the Knicks. Like these are, these are players that played vital roles in, in this game, in this series. Um, is it just smart management that kind of brought this team together? I mean, is Houston one of like the most well-managed teams in the league? I know they, they're always talking about Daryl Morey and his stats, but I mean, is this, are, we, are we seeing it bear out in this series? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that, uh, I don't know, I feel like I've watched a lot of playoffs this year, and I don't think that people have talked a ton about Daryl Morey. I feel like people like to talk about guys like that when they're doing something wrong more than they're doing something <laughs> right. But, right. Um, but I think so. I mean, I think a lot of the times also, you know, because um, there's, you know, there's this very specific business or strategic side to the NBA. Like, there are teams oftentimes looking to unload players. Like, they got Josh Smith for a reason. You know, it's not... In normal circumstances, you would not have been able to get a player of that caliber for that price. Or the same thing with the Knicks. Like, the Knicks unloaded J.R. Smith and uh, Shumpert and Prigioni and all these players in a way that they probably wouldn't have at other times. So I think it's, you know, Houston's smart in the sense that they were able to make those decisions, but they put themselves in a position to pursue those players. Yeah, and I feel like on the flip side, uh, you know, Josh Smith could have been Rajon Rondo in Dallas. You know what I mean? It, like, very easily could have turned sure. out that way. For sure. And I think they are also benefiting greatly from not having quite as much pressure. I mean, I know that's a strange thing to say. They're on a playoff team with LeBron James. I'm sure there's lots of pressure. But I feel like in the in with the Knicks, they're probably shouldering a little bit more of the load. And there's not much they could have done about it because the Knicks were not good. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm most excited for the possibility of a Houston-Cleveland final. Just from, from a Knicks fan point, we're saying, ah, yes, it's almost like if either of these te- teams win we get like a sliver of that championship. But it also makes me incredibly sad because like, you know, here the Knicks had these great assets on their team. You're always talking about how, you know, your team, you have your couple of superstars signed and then you need these like deep bench guys that we're talking about or these other shooters that can keep you in a game when, you know, maybe LeBron is having an off night. And it just sucks that the Knicks had those pieces, but they didn't have the star around them to kind of yes. pull it all together. I mean, I think this has just proven that Carmelo Anthony is and always will be a bust in New York. Yeah, I think that um, it also, I think you could almost turn it on its set too and show that there are a lot of really talented people in the NBA and they could ultimately probably find a place to play. Like these role players are, I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but they exist. Like, yes. You know, is it necessarily that it was J.R. Smith or could that have been any other number of players? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, or or Shumper. But for sure, I mean, I think, well, conversation about whether Kamala that he is like <laughs> a championship player aside, I guess. Well, as soon as the Knicks do well enough to merit an episode of the big game, we can have that conversation. Right. But I, right. don't, I think that might not happen for a while. Right. So, so what do you think? Can Houston beat Golden State? Do they have... Uh, do they have the players that compete with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson? Um, I would like. I'd like to think that any team that makes it this far into the playoffs, like things are going to be fairly competitive. 
like there's a reason that Houston made it here. They were the number two seed, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they got beat all four times in the regular season by Golden State fairly handily, from what I, I understand. Dwight wasn't there for two of the games, but, I mean, I think, you know, that's not necessarily saying a ton. Um, I mean, I feel like if anything they have going for them, it's just that they're a very good basketball team and they just came back from a 3-1 deficit. That makes them, what is it, 9 of 200 and something teams in NBA history to do that. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I think that maybe that's going for them. And And frankly, I think, you know, you look at that series and it's like, you know, I think where sort of the headspace that people are in matters a lot. I think at this point, because like we were saying, right, really talented teams, if they're doing what they're do what they need to be doing, like they can win some basketball games. And I think where people are emotionally or sort of as a team uh, means a lot. And they're coming off of a historic comeback. I mean, you know, they could go in and, and shock the Warriors. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, maybe for a game or two. But but I guess right. my my biggest concern is you know watching the first quarter here. I think. Each team had seven turnovers apiece in the first quarter alone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, the way Golden State plays and the way that they win their games is by scoring in flurries and just, you know, uh, giving the opponent a mountain to overcome, you know, a 15, 20 point deficit just by breaking away and, and hitting three after three. And, you know, if the Rockets turn the ball over seven times in the first quarter of game one and Steph Curry is having a decent night, they're going to be in a huge hole. And I don't and I think that's, you know, exactly what Golden State is just going to do to them if that's the way the Rockets are going to play. For sure. And I think the way that the Golden State relies on and is so good at relying on the three pointer, they really make you pay for those turnovers and for that poor play. Um so, yeah, for sure. I mean, if they're on, I mean, it's Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, you know, those guys are on and you're going to make turnovers and give them open threes. Like, it, you know, there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah, but you, you alluded to Houston's size earlier. You said, what, they're, they had six players that are over six foot eight? Nine right? players. Nine, nine players. And how many, yeah. does, how many does Golden State have? Uh, seven. Seven. So I'm thinking, like, maybe slowing the game down and winning the game in the paint might be one way to... Houston is going to have a chance to get past Golden State. For sure. I mean, it definitely seems like the Rockets have some size underneath that maybe um, Golden State doesn't necessarily have. Uh, but also, I mean, just in, in terms of Golden State trying to move the ball and sort of uh, use that kind of like, I guess, you know, pace and space offense kind of a thing. Um, I think that the length of Houston is going to kind of would come into play, I think. Even then, I don't think Dwight Howard didn't look that intimidating in this game and I, and I feel like he hasn't really looked intimidating since he was on the magic I mean yeah is there something about his game that has changed or is it he's just this is James Harden's team and so Dwight is just kind of this nice huge center that you get to rely on when you need to yeah I mean I think it probably maybe seems like a little bit of both it seems like he's he's physically come back most of the way but not quite um and he also seems like a bit of a head case to some to some extent I mean he doesn't seem like uh, terribly well adjusted to the media and the scrutiny. Um, he can't hit so a free throw to save his life. Yeah, which is just kind of that's again a whole separate issue, which is very con- confusing. Um, but yeah, I think it is also you know James Harden's team. I think he's doing James Harden does what he's supposed to do. I think better than what than Dwight Howard does what he's supposed to do. You know? Yeah, absolutely. What did you think of that play at the end of the game yeah. when Chris Paul is uh, jumps on Dwight Howard like like gets on him like a piggyback ride? 
as uh, as one of the Rockets is taking a free throw to, in essence, foul him. Oh, I guess it was while one of the Clippers was taking a free throw. So, And then to, like, foul Howard so that Howard then has to shoot free throws on the other end. I don't know. It was It was strange. It was a weird thing. Yeah, it was weird. I think there's um, some weird technicalities. Um, uh, I think Jeff Van Gundy was, or Jeff, or the Van Gundy that's the announcer, yeah. was trying to explain that, like, when you're doing that sort of hack of whoever, you don't have to actually wait for the play to start. You can, like, foul people, like, before the actual play starts. And I think that's what he was trying to do. And I don't know, maybe Chris Paul was just trying to be a little bit chippy. Frankly, <laughs> I think that's my biggest disappointment with this game is, like, I've watched enough, fine, like, you know, NBA playoff game sevens, like, especially kind of deeper into the playoffs. Yeah where, like, players just kind of flame out epically. And I was, like, waiting for Matt Barnes to, like, you know, <laughs> punch somebody and, like, take his jersey off and walk off the court. Give yeah. Me a little- yeah, I was pretty – I was pretty. I mean, I was surprised that he uh, – I don't know, just watching him in the Spurs series, like, when he, you know, basically horse-collared Manu Ginobili. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess I expected him to get into a fight or something, but that's just the style of uh, – he's like a piston bad boy. I think – so yeah, I think that he also, um, like he, he's clearly like, he's, he's not afraid of being the dick, you know, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but I think he understands it's his job. Like he's not actually, you know, a jerk. Yeah. yeah. He, it's, it's, it seems like he's, he, it's composed. It's cynical basketball, cynical, but professional basketball. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I thought Chris Paul looked great in this game. I thought he looked great in the Spurs series. What does LA need next year to kind of get past the second round? And do you um, think they'll be able to find it? Yeah. Well, I mean, for sure. I mean, they need a better bench, but I think um, I don't think I don't think they're going to be able to find it with the money that they have. I mean, my understanding is they have like if they sign DeAndre Jordan to the max deal that he probably is going to get, they have like many mid-level exceptions for like three million and change and some veteran minimums, which is like not, which is not what they need. I mean, I think, you know, maybe it's a question of making the best of what they have. I feel like Spencer Hawes didn't play great this year from what I understand, but he's a pretty, you know, he's a big man who can shoot the three and like had moments of playing well. Like maybe they adjust the offense to make him fit better yeah. and do something a little different off the bench. I mean, but I don't think he even played in the first round and he had played no. just a couple minutes in this one. Yeah, I, I really, I just don't, I don't think he played very well in the system at all. But so maybe if, you know, if you can't add players, maybe you change the system a little bit to, to make a little bit more sense. Um, but if they are able to get people, I feel like they need a better point guard, backup point guard for Chris Paul. Um, and probably, I don't know, a better small forward in Baby Davis because he's not very good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Blake Griffin, I mean, he was, he was good this season, but he was outstanding in the playoffs. I mean, he he played at a whole nother level. Yeah, this playoffs. And I think I, I don't know if if it was just you know him saving something for the playoffs or if it's just a question of him kind of coming into his own and accepting his role and and stepping up. But I mean, he was dominant in the playoffs. It's it's really amazing to see how much his game has evolved. And it's 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 interesting too because he got so much media scrutiny early in his career and focused specifically around the skill sets that he didn't have in his game. Kind of like LeBron, you know, everybody was yelling at LeBron about developing the post game and whatnot. And people just criticized him like all get out for being too physical and, and not having a game, uh, you know, more than like five feet from the rim. And then he developed it and he developed it better than I think people expected him to, you know, and he just dominated. So, I mean, that sort of totally changes things next year too. I think if Blake Griffin can play like he did in the playoffs all season next year, I mean, he could be, 
an MVP candidate, you know, yeah. and that was huge. I thought it was great the way that he and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan all could work together. Yeah. But it's it seemed like as as flawless as it looked at times, there were other times it would become totally stagnant. You know. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I can't quite articulate what that is. What what the maybe it's just the movement or the spacing or something, but there are times when it looked like it came so easy to them and then times where they were struggling to get up a decent shot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know if I don't I don't know what that is. If it's, maybe it's because the other thing is DeAndre Jordan does certain things so so well, but there are a lot of things he really doesn't do very well, and he's obviously got big gaps. Like the free throw shooting thing is a really big problem, and he still makes really stupid plays sometimes, and his like head's not fully in the game. Yeah. And I mean, I understand. Like, I don't think anybody would begrudge them giving him that max contract next year, but I also think that could end up looking like a contract that like nobody wants. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, so your projections for the conference finals and then the title game. Who do you think is going to take it all? Um, I think that Golden State is going to beat Houston. Uh, and do you think it's going to be close, or do you think it's going to be easy? Do you think it's like are we closer to a sweep or closer to seven games? Um, seeing as I want it to go further, <laughs> just as a basketball fan, I'll think positive thoughts. But I feel like, you know, I would say six. I, I say Golden State in six. I think Houston Rockets could surprise them maybe game one if they're coming off of the high of w- winning that series and maybe still another game later in the series. But, I mean, Golden State has just been so dominant. It's one of those things where do you really want to bet against the best team in the league that's basically dominated all playoffs? I mean, it just seems kind of silly, you know? Yeah, all season and all playoffs, they've just they've been number one the entire time. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, when was the? I mean, can you even remember a last team that was this dominant? I guess you could really easily say the Miami Heat of the last few years. Um, yeah. But even then, there always seemed, I don't know, there always seemed a rival, and maybe in the Thunder or somebody. But but here, it just kind of seems unequivocal that Golden State is better than everyone else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel I feel like the Heat is maybe a fair comparison, but obviously, people don't hate Golden State like people hated the Heat. You know yeah, what I mean, they've got that going for them. Sure. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and then, yeah, in the East, I feel like I feel like Cleveland's got it locked up. I don't think that there's going to be much competition there. I mean, what do you think? I mean, what? I, yeah, I, I I kind of feel the same way. I I'm kind of curious to watch this this series though with the Hawks because the Hawks are a team that should have you know they're the number one seed in the East and they should have waltzed through a, a Brooklyn team that backed into the playoffs. Um, and then they did put up a good fight, and they proved that they were the better team over Washington. But, you know, I, I can't tell if it's going to be close or not. I think you know, not having Kevin Love is going to be huge, and which is funny considering the conversation that we had last time on this podcast about Cleveland and Kevin Love in particular. Uh, but it, he, he, I think he proved us, uh, he, he proved our projections right on our last episode, which was they'll figure out a way to use Kevin Love, and they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't bet against LeBron in the East. I think it's just they were able yeah, to get I, by a pretty tough Bulls team. Yeah, I think it's very hard to bet against a player of that caliber. And then, assuming he's healthy, because I guess the reports are now that he might sit out the first game, Kyrie Irving is healthy. I mean, you know, I think Kyrie Irving is, I don't want to say he's underrated because he's certainly not, but he's an outstanding basketball player. And I think 
you know, when anybody sitting next to LeBron James is probably going to be underrated. But, I, you know, they're a very, very good team. So, and just the Hawks haven't looked very sure of themselves. They haven't looked what they, they, they just haven't looked like themselves in the playoffs, even though they've been able to win these series. Yeah. Um, the competition in the East hasn't been that great anyway. So, you know, the, the Brooklyn is a joke. I mean, the, the Nets are a joke. <laughs> um, and the Wizards are good. I think you saw things from like Bradley Beal in particular um, in that series, but, you know, it's not like anybody was picking them to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know. Yeah, I, I just want to see I want to see Timofey Mozgov have have his shining moment. Uh, sure. <laughs> another another uh, was he ever on the Knicks? Yeah, he he went to Denver in the uh, Carmelo Anthony trade. Yeah, geez, that's got to be some sort of a blog post somewhere. Is how many <laughs> Knicks are going to be in the finals? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're at least going to have three in uh, David. David, oh, Lee, David well. Lee, yeah, David Lee. Yeah. So we're we're at least gonna have one, unless the Hawks win. Ugh, so upsetting. <laughs> All right, Blake. Uh, last question. I know you're a big Bill Simmons fan. You listen to the podcast yeah. quite a bit. What do you think of uh, Simmons getting fired from ESPN, and what does this mean for uh, basketball journalism and fandom for the next season? I mean, I think it's a bummer because he's obviously wherever he goes. I mean, maybe this isn't true, but he won't have the resources that he had at ESPN wherever he goes. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I think that's unfortunate because he was able to do really big, awesome things, and especially you got to see that with Grantland and then the basketball hour and all that kind of stuff. Um, but honestly, like, I'd rather see Bill Simmons, as much as he can be a blowhard sometimes, I'd rather see him be himself all the way than be, like, the muted version of himself. And I think it's really lame the way that ESPN kind of came after him. Yeah, uh, certain situations, and I know I listen to his podcast pretty regularly, and you know he, right around the time that he got he came back he, from his suspension for all that stuff he said about Roger Goodell. I mean, you got a sense that he was pretty much, you know, going into whatever negotiations they went into. He his I mean he must have just said I get to do whatever I want. I mean you can't censor me in these ways. Yeah, you know, and they must have gotten afraid from that of that. So. Yeah, I, I think I think it's too bad he's not going to have the ESPN resources. But at the same time, uh, I'm excited to see where he goes and where he gets to be Bill Simmons like full on. Yeah, I'm curious if he'll figure it out or if it will be Conan going to TBS. You know what I mean? Where it's like he kind of yeah. he gets something in name and in presence, but it's not quite the same thing that it once was. And my other concern is that you know you and I have been a fan of of uh, the basketball Jones. And, and I feel like when they made the leap to TV, and especially when they made the leap to NBA TV, there was just something that was missing from it. The sort of like irreverent internet humor or, or, or some sort of personality that was there so much in the podcasts and on the Canadian show was just kind of missing. And I feel like watching Bill Simmons, I never liked watching Bill Simmons on Countdown or yeah. on in any sort of NBA broadcast. Uh, and I don't know if that's just a matter of practice or something but it just uh -huh. you know i feel like those those two and then also the men and blazers podcast coming to nbc sports like i just for, there's some there's something that's missing between what i love about those properties kind of online and in podcasts or on their own that mm -hmm. has a different like i think maybe it's the networks trying to dumb them down or, or mute them and make them kind mm -hmm. of a more accessible tv property but it, it's it hasn't worked and i haven't seen it work yet and so i'm curious to see if you know Fox gives him you know a truckload of money to be on TV and talk about basketball, is it going to work? And I, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder. I, like 
at a place like I hope he doesn't go to a place like Fox. You know what I mean? Uh, but you know, I think the basketball Jones is a good example. I think, yeah, they definitely you know got neutered in like the the format changed in a really unpleasant way when they went to television. Um, and 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 I think what they're doing now with the show because I've kept watching and kept listening is that they're bringing back a lot of those podcast elements. Mm-hmm. And because uh, clearly that's what people were upset over. Yeah. And and it's it's sort of the flavor of the show, so that's good to hear, and they're figuring it out. But it's definitely not quite what it once was. And I think with the you know with the um, with the Conan, uh, Conan O'Brien comparison, like I feel like Bill Simmons, I don't think is going to come out of this feeling like wounded. Whereas I feel like Conan O'Brien felt wounded. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. like he kind of went somewhere that, like almost he it was almost like he was happy to not be on ABC or NBC. You know yeah. what I mean? But Bill Simmons, I don't think, is wounded. I think he's, you know, like, <laughs> fuck you guys. I'm going to do what I want. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what where that energy goes. Yeah, we'll probably have to wait probably six months at least till we find out, though, it seems. As long yeah, as he I, sits at home and collects his paycheck. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to suck because I don't think he's invited back to ESPN at all until his contract is over, and then he'll have to build up whatever he's doing. Um, that's kind of a bummer. I, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the properties that he built, because like thirty for thirty, that's ESPN. They own that. Yeah. And uh, Grantland, they own that. You know what? What's Zach Lowe going to do? Is he going to leave? Like that'll be really interesting, because all the all these guys who work for ESPN now, whether you know Bill Simmons found them and sort of fostered them through his you know network of you know whatever, or if they were guys who existed at ESPN. Everybody either was found by Bill or everybody wants to be like him. Like all these, all these sports pundits over at ESPN, everybody drops these like pop culture references in their lines now. And like everybody wants to be like Bill Simmons. It'll be interesting to see who leaves and defects and goes to go. Yeah, I what? wouldn't be surprised if Grantland withers on the vine in the next two to three years. If it continues to lose money and, and they don't have a champion kind of like pushing for the site to grow and adapt sure. and be more, then it's just going to eventually become page two and get you know it's going to disappear to the memory of the internet for sure i mean that uh, grantland is bill simmons i mean that whole pop culture merging with sports thing is him I mean, it doesn't make sense that anybody else would run it you know yeah uh, and that was actually really interesting um not to be too long-winded about it but i he you know his podcast he did this thing recently where he kind of went through the history of um of his career and how he got to where he was and he had a really interesting explanation of the whole sports and pop culture thing and basically just trying to make his column relatable to ordinary people, yeah. basically. And it was just it was just very interesting. Um, it's worth listening to if you're curious about where that all comes from. No, and I mean, that's kind of also the premise behind this podcast, which is it's, you know, conversations about sports that average fans can have. You know what I mean? We don't need to yeah. have advanced statistics or professional experience or anything like that. It's just, you know... Sports are for the people to kind of, you know, entertain themselves through dull times and great times and whatever. And I feel like there's just as much right for fans to talk about sports in their own sort of barroom conversation manner as there is for people to talk about them on ESPN. Oh, for sure. And I think um, uh, just watch ESPN and see how much of the content comes from their Twitter stream and you'll find (laughs) out just that fact. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, I hope to have you back maybe for the uh, finals. That would be great. All right, dude. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye.
All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Big Game. If you haven't yet, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher. Leave a review if you like what you hear. Check out our new website, biggamepod.com. Listen to all of our past episodes. Drop me a line at JethroTarget on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. And stay tuned for more next week on The Big Game.